1: i'm over here now follow my account over here instead and then you had to gradually accumulate your friends and followers and all of that on this other place imagine now that there's something where all of your connections that you made don't matter um in terms of what site you're on so you're on facebook and all of a sudden something new and better comes out and you don't have to think oh god i gotta reestablish everything why bother moving no now you have freedom of movement because all of your connections come with you and they don't even have to move. They just stay put. You just jump onto the new interface. You jump onto the new social media platform and then you can just tell people, Hey, this one's better. And you don't have to do anything. Just, just go use it. Just use your profile on it. And it works just fine. And, and then I also threw in, uh, cause you know, I'll, I'll post my tutorials and everything and people have been, zap happy over them which has been much appreciated. thank you very much anybody who's zapped them but um i took a screenshot of my my zap wallet and i said also it natively has tips uh and when i've been posting my videos and stuff people have been sending little tips over and not saying anything about bitcoin i just showed like a balance i was like there's like 140 us dollars here over the past month of just people sending a few cents at a time or a a dollar or something like that and accumulated. And I got a bunch of responses from people saying, Oh, holy shit, that looks, that's cool. And they were, they were actually interested. And so it was like a low key, you know, they, they took a nibble of the orange pill without even realizing it. Um, And I think this is going to be down the line. uh, One of those inroads, where people don't come for Bitcoin, but then they realize, oh, I guess Bitcoin is useful for me because I'm getting, I'm getting tips here and now I can use this elsewhere. I, I think it's going to be bigger than we expect.
2: That's great. I, what it makes me think of is one, just the huge differences between walled gardens versus open protocols. And I love the fact that, Ben, you are fluent in Bitcoin and in normie. So uh, there are few better translators I can think of to, to do that job. So thank you for sharing that. Um, we're gonna go to Jim, would love to hear your, what you wanna share, but then we are gonna transition into uh, the tutorial video that Ben put out recently. So uh, Jim,
3: let's go to you first. Thanks, Sean. Uh, considering it's Macro Friday, I have this overall perspective in the way I have to run my Uh, construction company, which is I don't get to ignore first principles. Plumbing level is important, and if I ignore that, stuff doesn't stand up. And so what I found in the Bitcoin community, uh, basing our perspective on um, uncorruptible hard money, is that we have a first principle base from which to work off of. And so much of the thoughts and ideas uh, being shared in the bitcoin community and the work that's being done you know Nostra being a a perfect example is one where we're getting back to those those basic first principles like we everybody deserves privacy um to the extent that they want it everybody deserves to be in control of their own information um open source protocols are better than closed source protocols and so when you dig down into what's happening here is we're creating conditions in this world by which people can depend on what's underlying the things that they're doing. You know, I can depend on a plumb bob to tell me if something is straight up and down. It doesn't need electricity. You know, it's a natural first principle. I don't get to mess with it. I simply need to align with it And that's what the Bitcoin community is doing. We're aligning around truth and the first principles of an uncorruptible monetary system that makes a level playing field for all of humanity. And we are the pioneers of the future of this world. We are the people that are going to make a difference. And it's up to us to explain how... Bitcoin fits into that narrative and how it it is going to affect people's lives, whether or not they like it or not, because that's what first principles do, and so I just love the way Ben describes things. I love the innovation that's happening in the space, and I just I, I feel blessed to be here and I, I try to contribute in, in any way that I can, even if it's simply a perspective like i'm articulating now, so I just wanted to you know throw that out there <clears throat> and unless somebody has a reason to push back on that. I feel so blessed to, to to have a world now where a solid foundation is being built upon that everybody can count on for, for now, out into eternity, hopefully. So, thanks for the opportunity to say all that. Looking forward to hearing what Ben has to say about his tutorials. This is an awesome space already. Thank you so much, you guys.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jim. Dan, um, please, please chime in with what you are thinking. I wanted to go to you and Josh to see if you had anything before we go to Ben for the tutorial.
4: Yeah. Uh, thanks, and then we'll hand it to Ben. I, I cannot resonate more with what was just said, and I think it is a, a very helpful juxtaposition to consider between Bitcoin and shallow shitcoin land. Um, I'm sure everyone, most people here, are on the same page. But the simplistic metaphor I would give for Ethereum and the rest of of shitcoinery is that they're trying to construct what they perceive to be gorgeous master bedrooms with a horrendous shitty foundation underneath them. And at the end of the day, like an example I can think of from this week about why solid foundations matter is just, is your protocol intermediated by people like specific people are centralizing. If your favorite crypto is somewhere somehow reliant on a few pieces of flesh and bone, you may be screwed. And I'm not some Gensler disciple by any stretch of the imagination, but when he starts drawing the distinction between Bitcoin and everything else, it's not that he's some necessarily huge fan of the Bitcoin community. He just knows that this thing is a slippery hog that he can't wrestle and get his hands around. And that's because of solid, decentralizing, robustly censorship-resistant construction at the base layer. What is going to hold up not for one year, two years, five years, 20 years, what is going to have the potential to hold up for decades and centuries? That's the kind of foundation we need to construct, we have constructed, and needs to continue being uh, the, the ethos of this community. Um, very well said,
5: Server Jim. Appreciate it. If I could just chime in really quick. There's a reason that all these giants in finance—I'm thinking Ray Dalio at the moment—talk so much and have such high regard for the way evolution works, and it's because in free markets, that is the true evolutionary path of markets: just doing whatever they're going to do, not being curtailed for the most part by any uh, bureaucracy. It's the the freest way we have to express our value in the world, and. I just it just just talking about Nostr and Bitcoin like this makes me think of Jeff Goldblum's character in the original Jurassic Park when he says life finds a way. And that's such a cheesy thing to say, but that's exactly what's happening here. Like this the bureaucracy, the stifling atmosphere in at Twitter is causing us to ca- to find another way with Nostr. And if it's not Nostr, it's going to be some other decentralized protocol. The point is is that you can't curtail these things into um, you know, a walled garden, it's going to escape. Um, and Bitcoin is the expression of that in the monetary world. And Noster is the expression of that in the decentralized protocol for social networks. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this in the future. And I, I, I know we will, and I'm looking forward to it.
4: Compounding decentralization folks. It's a beautiful thing to participate in.
2: Right on, right on. Well said guys. So with that, let's get into uh, what is on our schedule. Let's have Ben, um, please uh, walk us through the tutorial video that you recently put out.
6: Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, I, what was just said, the one thing that I really, uh, that, the, the one piece of, um, the one quote that I really gravitated towards, which I'm going to now start using is that Bitcoin is the slippery hog of money, <laughs> I think that's that's going to be my major takeaway so thank you for that Do it.
4: Um, <laughs> We've been talking about hogs for years now, sessions.
1: <laughs> I love it. all right well that's that's now in my vernacular. Um, okay, so the tutorial uh, yeah, so I um, I dropped a tutorial on something called uh, cashew. so cashew is a protocol that builds Chalmian eCash on Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. And so um, first, I guess we should discuss a little bit what, what Chalmian eCash is. Um, Chalmian eCash was conceived by David Chaum in 1982. So it's obviously not a Bitcoin-specific thing, but it is something that can be applied to Bitcoin. And there are definite trade-offs with it, but I mean, first off, we should talk about you know, why would you use it? What are the benefits? And and one is scalability and two is privacy. So effectively, um, using uh, Bitcoin via Xiaomi e eCash or via Cashew, um, you effectively get, um, in, you know, instant settlement at zero fees with near perfect privacy. So those are your benefits. Nobody knows what you have. Nobody knows... Um, who is sending to whom and how much, anything like that. So so everything is, is blinded and nobody can know what you have. Now, the, the, the trade-off here um, comes in, in different ways depending on how it's implemented. So the, I'm sure some of the people here have heard of Feti and Fediment, and this is another way of implementing Xiaomi and eCash on Bitcoin. But they use... Um, kind of like an on-chain model to do this through multi-sig, if I'm not mistaken. Hopefully I won't misspeak too much here, but from my understanding, the general concept is that you, you would do this in a community setting. So, um, you know, you'd have a, a a group of people that you trust. So maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a small uh, a small community. Uh, maybe it's like a, a town or a village or whatever. Um, but you're effectively taking people that would have never self-custodied, um, just people that (laughs) you've done your best and you just realize like, it's a losing battle. Grandma's not going to use her cold card, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) so, so what's the next best thing rather than having grandma with a bunch of sats over on the next FTX, you have grandma with her sats. Guarded by a a family multisig of which the technologically uh adept people in your family hold keys, and so nobody can run off with the funds. Um, think of it kind of almost like liquid um so liquid, a side chain of bitcoin effectively, there's a, a like a federated multi-sig, and you'd need
7: you'd
5: need
1: the vast majority of the multisig holders to to uh, collude in order to run off the, with the money, which is better than sitting it in an exchange, right? It's still like there, there's still trust involved, but like the trust has to be so incredibly broken for everything to go away. So that's the model with something like Fediment where, okay, well, everybody's, you know, there's a community, a small community using a Fediment. And then in that, when people deposit into what what's known as the Mint or the multi-sig, um, they can then transact with anybody within the mint instantly for zero fee and completely uh, basically near perfectly private. So not only not only do people within the mint not know who's sending to whom, even the people running the mint don't know. It's entirely blinded. so the the people that are running the multisig don't even fully know, uh, who owns what, like the, actually at all. They don't know who owns what. They can't see that. They There's no way they can decipher it. It's all, there's fancy cryptography around it, but in the long and the short is not even the owners of the mint understand who owns what. So that's the Fediment model of things. The Cashew model of things, where it would apply, is where people have already made the choice to... Uh, use a a lightning custodial service, which is a, a a good number of people on Noster right now, right? A lot of people on Wallet Wallet of Satoshi, a lot of people using something like Albi or whatever Lightning address enabled thing um, that that is is custodial in some way, shape or form. And so the trade-off there obviously other than custody right now is Wallet of Satoshi still needs to designate. Well, you know, I have this user and this user and this user, and we know how much, how many sats each user actually has. Um, If Wallet of Satoshi were to implement Cashew as their default, then they would be entirely blinded to who owns what and would have no idea while still being able to maintain that people actually own, you know, have like have the SATs. And people would be able to transfer around for zero fee all the time. I know Lightning's already very cheap, but instant and zero fee with added benefit of privacy in there. On top of that, let's say, if Wallet of Satoshi is running a mint, I said, you can send from people, uh, to and from people within the mint. And conceptually, you think, well, that means I can only send to people within Wallet of Satoshi. But no, you can send from Mint to Mint, and those transactions would be Lightning transactions. So you have a Lightning node that is Wallet of Satoshi's node, and that node has a Mint basically blinding who owns what within that node. And then any time you want to interact with somebody from another Mint, it's just a Lightning transaction. But... In the process of doing that, it is also more private than a regular Lightning transaction because you're hiding in the crowd of the entire Mint. So imagine the transfer from the wallet of Satoshi Mint to the Albi Mint is completely like the wallet of Satoshi has no idea who sent the Lightning transaction from one Mint to the other and how many thousands of users are wallet of Satoshi. So... Yes, there's a trade-off. Obviously I'm not sitting <laughs> thousands of dollars in wallet of Satoshi. Like, you know, I might have like 50 bucks or hundred bucks there, but in, in an instance where Cashew was implemented there, all, every transaction, everything I did, even sending out of the mint to either a regular Lightning transaction or another mint is, is near perfectly private. And so when I made this video, effectively, uh, it shows how you set up a, a cashew wallet in two different examples: one on LN Bits and one using an app called Nutstash, which is a great name. Uh, and then it shows how, with the Nutstash app, you can actually connect your your uh, your nPub from uh, from uh, Noster, and then you can actually send to another person's npub or their nipo5 identifier or the hex of their npub it doesn't matter but you can send to other Nostr users using cashew and i demonstrate that in the video i actually did on a live stream sent uh jack dorsey uh some eCash as well so anyways yeah anybody can use it if you're not currently on the nutstash app it will show up as a dm and it's just like a it's a, it's just like an encoded jumble of text. It's a token that you can basically go into any cashew wallet and redeem instantly. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> that's, that's the, the long and the short of it. Um, happy to answer any questions as best as I can.
2: Yeah, that great overview. Thank you for that. Um, I got a lot out of that myself. I do see some hands up, which is fantastic. Uh, Tomer, I believe, had his hand up first. So let's go to Tomer.
0: Yeah, thanks. I get a chance to play a little bit with this because someone on Oscar said, hey, you got to wait until I was commenting on how great zapping was and said, well, wait until you try this. And I did. And it's obviously early and it's a little bit clunky. But I think what got me really interested in what you were saying, because you're dealing with tokens, which are representative of a certain number of Satoshis, but need to be redeemed for Satoshis. And it's like, it feels like there's a lot of steps in the way. But Listening to you talk about it actually made me feel like a lot of those steps could be automated and hidden behind the scenes so that all of these benefits take place without users actually having to touch these cash tokens, which are convertible back to Satoshi's. Um, but we could be adding a lot of privacy and maybe even somehow, even though it's another trusted party in the mix, it's uh, it's maybe making some of these custodial solutions a little bit less uh, dependent on trust but it's it's really early in it, and like we've said so many times earlier about Noster even to people the user experience that I had about a week ago was i I needed somebody's help each click each click of the way
8: yeah you you're absolutely right it's still very early, still
1: very clunky i I, I definitely say that a, a few times in the video of like, hey, well, maybe put like a few thousand stats here just to experiment don't put a meaningful amount in. Like there's not even like an easy implemented recovery method as of yet. Um, so yeah, like don't, don't go and and put a bunch of money in cashew right now, but you're right. So like in, in a world where, where cashew is implemented in wallet of Satoshi or, or another custodial lightning option, the user doesn't even really need to know. To be honest, it could all be pushed to the background and it could be automated in a way where if the person's already using Cashew or isn't a Cashew compatible client on the same Mint, it just automatically sends as a Xiaomi eCash uh, transaction. And if they're not, then it sends as a Lightning transaction. And in both instances, you get the benefits of privacy afforded by using Cashew and nobody is any the wiser um, as to what is going on in the background.
2: I believe Tone was next. Good morning, Tone. How you doing, man? What's on your mind?
9: Hey, guys. Hey, Ben. Uh, good chatting with you, as always. Uh, so uh, here's what, like, like, keeps bothering me about all this stuff. Um, no one ever talks about the liquid sidechain. I mean, there's been, like, uh, what, confidential transactions? Uh, inside the liquid sidechain for like three to four years now. And yet everyone keeps like building more. Why isn't that network being utilized more? I know it's not really designed for micropayments, but considering nobody uses it and it is a default 10X scaling on current Bitcoin, your transactions are basically free. They're completely private. And yet no one wants to utilize those features and they're like just rebuilding those features. So, like, what are your thoughts on this?
1: I, I mean, I agree. I think Liquid is massively underappreciated, um, and it's familiar, right? Like, you you jump over to Liquid, um, you know it, and and actually, in comparison to what I'm talking about here with Cashew, um, it's it's more. Well, what was the term they originally used? Uh, trust minimized than than using Cashew. because, like, with you use wallet of Satoshi, you're trusting that single entity with your money. And the same would be true in a cashew mint because somebody's running the lightning node through which that liquidity is running. So, so there's more trust involved in a, a cashew mint, um, than in, in liquid. And so, uh, yeah, I agree. Like they've got, you have blinded signature, you have blinded, um, what's, what's the term for the, uh, for the for the private transact confidential transactions you said, um, yeah, so the amount that's transacted, the asset that's transacted it's that's all blind the the I will say the one difference is um, you see there's there are public addresses um, associated so like you can go and there's a chain like there's a blockchain that you can check on liquid. that's not true in in, uh, in cashew. Or it, and I, I, I guess um, similar would be Fediment, where there's no trace. There's no chain to trace in terms of ownership. So there's like there's a degree of, oh, a transaction took place, and it went to this address. We don't know for how much and what the asset was or whatever. Um, that would be liquid. Whereas in, in Fediment or in Cashew, it would be... Did a transaction take place? So this, that's that's kind of the difference. But you're you're right. Liquid is massively underappreciated for its privacy benefits and its um, less. It requires less trust than something like cashew itself, and similar. I would say basically equal trust to Fediment.
9: Yeah, and also like right now, it's super scalable, and if it ever gets overutilized. You can build a lightning structure on top of liquid.
1: Yeah, that's true too. And actually, we're going to go that deep down the rabbit hole. You could have liquid, so you have Bitcoin. You then have a federated multisig with liquid. You then have lightning on top of liquid, and then you could build a a and eCash mints on the liquid lightning side chain. You could have you could have any amount of layers. All of this actually can intermingle as well. So it's not exclusive to one another. So yeah, lightning can exist on liquid, as can fediment as can Cashew. So yeah, all, all of this is, is agnostic.
2: Gotta love the wonderful world of layered Bitcoin uh, adoption and building. Um, I hope I have this right here. I think Josh had his hand up next. Uh, what's up, Josh?
5: Um, yeah, I just wanted to make a quick comment on, the, I mean, this stuff is, as we've said already, it's tough to keep up with it all. Like cashew something I have to go dig into a little cause it's, I haven't even messed with it at all, but this is again, back to how in the world, like we're barely holding on to this rocket as it's blasting out of the atmosphere, keeping up with all this stuff. And <laughs> it's laughable to think that regulatory bodies are going to have any ability to do that whatsoever. I mean, the dinosaurs are mating in the wild. This thing is, is just completely insane. And um, that's why Dan and I are always referring to this thing as the slippery hog. There's no way that Gensler has got the chops to get that thing lassoed. It's just never going to happen. It's it's going. Just,
9: uh, oh, but, but real quick on that, but this is why Gensler is giving up on Bitcoin. And he's like, focused on everything else, right? I mean,
4: exactly, he knows Tone. Exactly. I, exactly. That's, that's what I was saying a second ago, Dan here. It's not that w- we we've had we've tweeted some things about Gensler that have been misunderstood recently. We are not Gensler disciples. We're not fans of regulatory. We're not regulatory cucks here at Blue Collar Bitcoin. What we're saying is Barfarin. protocols protocols need architecture to withstand regulatory onslaught. And if you zoom out on Bitcoin, I know concerns within specific, uh, specific jurisdictions. But when you think about this at a species level global perspective, This thing is a freaking slippery hog. We'll say it again. It's going to be so hard to get your hands around this at a global scale, and that's why architecture matters, and that's why Gensler knows he's smart enough, he understands this protocol well enough to know it's basically going to have to be left alone. He's going to have to move around it. It's a pretty fixed uh, rock in the river, and he's the current that's going to have to meander around it.
2: Can I I put a meme request out into the Internet of someone to put Gary Gensler... Failing to wrestle a slippery hog, I, I think someone's got to make that happen.
5: <laughs> we'll we'll have the AI do it for us. We'll uh, I'll I'll make sure to have Chat GPT send me a, a picture of Gensler wrestling a slippery hog. We'll
2: excellent, excellent. Uh, let's go to Jim, and then we'll go to Tomer.
3: Uh, hey, thanks, guys. This is funny. Uh, ben, going back to what you were saying um, about your tutorial, you made a reference to. One, uh, um, for lack of a better uh, term, one type of fediment being able to transmit to another one um, using these different tools. I, I'm, I got a lot to learn still. Um, was that actually correct? And if that's true, do you? Uh, is it possible for somebody that's just outside one of these fediment thingies? You know, these closed, um, closed groups is how I see it. Somebody outside that's running their own lightning node has their own channels and liquidity. Can they transact in and out of these sort of fediments? And then just an opinion question on top of that. Do you see a fediment growing so large as to sort of be similar to what people think of as Bank of America right now? They join this group and within that group. The, the guy on top says who's got what amount of money, and I can translate it with anybody that's also part of Bank of America. And so, overlapping questions: Can you go from without to within, and do you see it growing? Uh, you know, like that. I I'd, I'd be curious to anybody else's opinion about that question. Will these things turn into what we what we see as normal banking rails now, where there is this other layer of trust where you're giving up control of let's say the ledger to somebody else uh, in 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 exchange for the convenience or simply because you don't have the, the resources and liquidity to open your own lightning channels or even own that much Bitcoin to begin with. So, so I hope that wasn't too convoluted. Thank you very much. That's, that's a great question. And, and okay. So, um, let's start
1: with, can you easily go in and out of these things if you're not already part of the, you know, if you're, if you're not just actively funding, uh, your account in a sediment or, or in cashew. Uh, yeah, it's, it's as simple as sending. So cashew, it's as simple as sending a lightning transaction. That's it. Um, and, and then you can move back out. In fact, um, if you, and I'd, I'd have to think a little bit deeper about this, but like, as I was saying, if if you got funds in a mint and then you move them out, which is just a lightning transaction moving out, then there's, there's privacy afforded in that because nobody knows what member of the mint let alone how many members there are in a mint like there's no way to actually check and say oh geez there's 20 people in here you have no idea like there could be two (laughs) there could be a hundred there could be ten thousand not a clue right it's it's a it's a pool of funds that moves freely and amongst each other and anytime funds move out to another person. It's a lightning transaction and nobody knows what person in the mint or how many people there were in the mint, um, let alone who sent it. Um, and so, yeah, you can freely move into and out of mints. Um, same goes for, so Fediment, and and I'll clarify here, Fediment is, um, a, an implementation that starts, uh, on, on, on chain. So liquid style federated multi-sig multiple people holding keys to a multi-sig and then there's a layer on top of that that is the the mint so people can deposit into this multi-sig address or series of addresses just like a regular multi-sig and then it's managed by the key holders but then there's a, a a fediment on top of it that allows for those instant transfers for free so no no uh no fees and near perfect privacy um and same thing when you go to send out, nobody knows who's actually sending out. Um, and with Cashu it's all it's all lightning based.
7: And so this is where
3: Will we lose them. Oh, yeah, hey, I, I, I was, was about to ask Hey hey, sorry. When did it cut? Uh, all
1: lightning-based, lightning yeah, last thing you said. Okay, yeah, so it's, so cash is all lightning-based. So it's more like there's an entity running a lightning node, and then the funds are accumulated on that node. So it's more of a single point of failure, right? So much like Wallet of Satoshi, they've got a lightning node or perhaps a series of lightning nodes. Um, but effectively, that's, that's the mint um is the node. So it's more a single point of failure. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, you can move into and out of any of those with uh, just a simple lightning transaction. You don't need any special tool or anything like that to to be a part of it. In terms of relating it to the banking system, um, I would say if so for me, thinking trying to think adversarially, but um, then, then weren't those the same
9: concerns when Lightning was first starting out? Oh, everyone's gonna use this single uh, Lightning node because they have like the majority of connections.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, like you people that are using Cashew, yeah, there, there's your there's your wallet of Satoshi. Uh, like it's it, it's exactly what's what's going on with wallet of Satoshi. A lot of people jump on there because it's so simple and you just start it up. There's there's definitely alternatives to that, you know things like Phoenix and Breeze where where, you know you you are running a Lightning node on your phone effectively and you have full custody of your funds and then Phoenix or Breeze establishes from their good node incoming channels to you but you still own all your funds so it's just, it's basically like automated. Um, liquidity so you don't have to worry about all the channel management and stuff like that um, so those that would be the difference but yeah so wallet of satoshi yeah but that's that's the you're trading off massively for like the utmost convenience um, and so to, to jim's question about you know what would be the parallels of this and with the existing system if people might and I don't think that people should en masse migrate to this stuff, but they can use it as a tool in their tool belt if it makes sense. Um so if it's a meaningful amount of funds, you wouldn't want it going to like a cashew mint because that's a, a kind of a single point of failure. You would you would be better looking at something like a fediment, which is again like a federated multisig where you know, you have maybe like 15 different entities with keys and you need the vast majority of them to collude and rug pull in order for that to happen. That's a much better model than a lightning node, a single lightning node, right? Um, so, you know, like in, in that instance too, like, let's say it's a banking system based upon a Fediment model where it's like, okay, there's a bunch of people who are never going to take custody in the first place. So, you say, well, this is the most trust-minimized way of doing it. All of a sudden, in comparison to our existing banking system, where it's like, oh, you, you transacted this much and like we need all of your information and you're not allowed to send it here and what are you doing with this? And we're going to freeze your account here and you have zero privacy anywhere and we track everything we do. All of a sudden, there's no control as to who goes into and out of that financial system uh, financial institution. There's no control or any indication of who they're transacting with and how much they're transacting. And there's, there's limited control as to them being able to pull out money from that Fediment or that financial institution based on Fediment, because you would need, again, the majority of the key holders to collude to say, no, you're not allowed to transact in this way. And even still, you can still transact from fediment to fediment via the Lightning Network as well. Um, and that adds a whole other layer of additional privacy and hiding in the crowd and prevention of censorship. So it's it's leaps and bounds better than the existing financial infrastructure we have. But in comparison to holding your own keys and, you know, like, Having a cold card and dealing on chain, there's obviously trade-offs there when it comes to trust. Um, and you get the added privacy as as part of that trade-off. So you know it, it's I think we're all everybody realizes in in Bitcoin, there's no free lunch. If you want one thing, it's not we we add the thing. It's okay, in order to add the thing, there's a trade-off. We learned this with scaling. We learn this with, even just with Taproot. Oh, holy shit, people are shoving JPEGs on Bitcoin now? Ooh, there's the trade-off. So so yeah, this is a constant learning process. But um, as long as people are cognizant of the trade-offs of the different tools they use, they can use them conscientiously. And and again, the gold standard is hold your own keys, get it in, have entirely your own custody get, you know, hardware, get a cold card, whatever, um, or multi-sig if you choose to do that and hold your own funds. But if you need to be transacting, doing different things, there's a lot of different ways of doing it that have various benefits and trade-offs.
2: Yeah, highlighting the fact that these come with trade-offs is key. And Ben, I think you did a good job of doing that, even in your opening comments, talking about how Uh, the trade offs, you get scalability and privacy, you do have to trust certain entities with these models. But we also have to be realistic, as you noted about the fact that not everyone is going to take the most self sovereign approach to uh, self custody. So I think that's just a reality um we are going to transition in probably five minutes to more macro content but um i see pubby with his hand up would like to go to pubby and then also if anyone else has comments or questions for ben um let's hear those in the next five minutes or so Pubby, what's up man
6: good morning gentlemen and look as someone's been here for five years and, and you're listening into this and people are just saying what in the hell are you talking about all right so that is sort of a question is like I, as fast as this technology changes man how, how do we get our heads wrapped around it and and have a sort of a um a clear code of instruction and i'm laughing because yes look i got an austral on the list guys all right but i'm here i got other things going on and so it's the first thing first place i always go let's go to youtube btc sessions Okay, what's this Noster stuff all about? And I look on there, an hour and fifteen minutes. Are you fucking kidding me? An Hour and fifteen minutes to try to understand this. And man, you guys, we're kicking around. You know, you get liquid, sediments. We're just kicking around all these, all these phrases and how it all comes together. I don't know. So I don't know, Ben. When you're doing these, you have to go back. I know you'll probably redo, you'll redo a tutorial as a technology. But how do we, as a sort of community, how? How do you get this out there? I don't know, in in a in a format that, you know, it's hard enough for normies just to understand Bitcoin itself and the problem with the money system. But man, you get out in this rabbit hole. It's a pain in the ass. But keep up the great work, brother.
7: Thanks, Matt. I mean, I, I
1: think at in the end of the at the end of the day, um, we'll get to a place where the underlying architecture is is does not matter and there'll just be some general concepts that people have to know of, okay, this is, this is your savings. And it's the most secure way to keep your money. This
7: is your spending account and it is somewhat less
1: secure, but it's instant and private. And so like, if we conceptually know these things and it's as simple as you have a wallet and there's a toggle switch (laughs) and you're like, this goes into savings. And people know that it's secure and nobody can screw with their money. And this goes into spending, and they know that there's a slight trade-off. There's there's a minimalized degree of risk associated with it. Um, then I, I think we get to a much better place. It's 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 like if you were trying to explain the infrastructure involved and the differences involved in uh, in in paypal versus your banking system like your actual online banking versus the federal reserve and the layers of of uh, you know the layers of settlement that are involved there and all of the clearing houses and all of that shit trying to go through that maze with somebody that's basically what the discussion is right now is we're talking about the plumbing of how all this shit works and it's going to be completely irrelevant to people in the future they're just going to need to know Most secure, this is where I keep my long-term savings. Less secure, but I'm going to spend this day-to-day. And I think that's how it ends up.
5: Yeah, I just want to comment real quick if I could. Ben, this is literally your full-time job. Like, everyone listening, Ben does this for a living. Like, he's the one researching this stuff, putting the videos up. He helps all of us out by watching, you know, we get a leg up on it. But if you're listening and you're completely lost, like, don't worry about it. Like, it's going to get... It's going to get figured out. Like five years ago, it was a pain in the ass to run a Bitcoin node. I was trying to do it and it was it was, you know, you're you're doing command line stuff. It was a nightmare. Now you can just off off the shelf a start nine node and you push play. It runs. It's this stuff's going to get that simple, but we're just in the wild west of it. And there's always going to be this bleeding edge where it's gonna be extremely difficult for a lot of people to wrap their head around it and understand how it works. But it's it's gonna get better it's going to get easier just and lightning was the same thing three or four years ago running a lightning node was a huge pain in the ass it's become much easier there's tools to manage liquidity now Um all of this stuff gets simpler with time but when you're on the bleeding edge of it it's just fresh off the press it's going to be a lot more difficult to handle
4: the the other thing josh just to chime in is that this is the beautiful thing about a protocol that enables a spectrum like this can be from a from a tech standpoint this can be as simple as you want it to be it can be we're, we're getting close to grandmother proof right now and it is it can be as complex as you want it to be and pubby i do think your your sentiment is well taken and important though like you we were asking off the top of this episode people were asking you know how do you guys get through to firemen but don't overwhelm the shit out of them. Uh, we were overwhelmed in the beginning. People that don't know anything about this, if you start throwing out vernacular they're completely unfamiliar with, they're going to get overwhelmed. Start them simple. Meet them where they're at. Touch things with, you know, these devices with them. Show them how it works. Like an example. Here, Here's an example of something we've, we're merciless shillers of the cold card. But if we go straight to somebody that's never cold stored Bitcoin, never purchased Bitcoin and try to... Just tell them yeah air gap this thing that's probably not the the best way to short circuit their learning journey. Let them wire it, send them the five minute video, get them up and running, and then you can kind of scale from there but yeah, I mean the revolutionary paradigm shifting technologies at the when they reach their asymptotic end or they get they scale to massive network effects. The vast majority of users are not going to understand the inner workings we're even talking about today. I mean, you think about the email, internet, electricity, the internal combustion engine. People have no freaking clue how how these things work, and they've changed the world. So um, that's where this is headed. But we got to meet people where they're at, and and that was a that was a good point there, Pubby. So uh,
7: I've got the exact opposite uh, perspective. I'm a boomer. Um, I think you just jump into it and go, and don't be afraid, and especially don't be afraid to ask. Questions. Find somebody that you that you trust that you that you hear talking, and like Ben, like like uh, Josh and and uh, and the, the Bitcoin guys at, at Bitcoin Fire, uh, like Cubby, any of these people, Alex, anybody that, that that you trust that has been doing this for a while, and then just go ahead and jump in and have fun. I'm sorry it's a little loud here. I'm I'm waiting in line on a on a deep powder day. Going to be hitting the the slopes here in about. Uh, 20 minutes, um, but I also want to ask Ben a question. In the meantime, Ben, when it comes to wallets, Lightning wallets in particular, um, how does one parse through? You know, I know for me personally, you know, I, I I just try them and I and I just go, okay, I like this one. This one's easy to use. I get used to it. And then, like with Lightning, it went away. So I'm now on Wallet of Satoshi. But my question is, what is the trusted source? So that somebody who's
1: new can know. Hey, you know what? This wallet is good enough. Ooh, trusted source. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, this is Bitcoin, right? There's no one trusted source, and and we've we've had a history of people that were, you know, had a ton of good takes over the history of Bitcoin, and then pivoted to be. Uh, you know, not especially friendly to it or, or just, like, go down a path that that may be detrimental to people that are listening. Like, I, I would say even, I mean, especially for myself, too, like, I'm not immune to, you, you know, maybe maybe I pivot tomorrow and, you know, have a bunch of really bad takes. So, like, I think people should scrutinize everything I do as well.
7: Um, so, so, ben, so, Ben, are you kind of saying... Just like in trad, Be careful. Do your best. Don't put a lot out there. So, in other words, if I've got twenty bucks and I lose it because I did something wrong, that's better than having a thousand bucks and losing it because I did something wrong. Is that kind of what you're getting at?
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I I think um, again, like when when you're dealing with your own money, I think the the best bet is is kind of let your knowledge reflect where your funds are allocated um so you know you you know on-chain you know how to secure on-chain funds well fantastic keep the majority of your bitcoin on-chain secured with with a hardware wallet that you're comfortable with um and then you're experimenting with lightning and you're using it day-to-day well wonderful but i mean how much do you really need in a lightning wallet day-to-day um and that depends on the, the individual but like like you said, oh, I, I just try out lightning wallets and I hop around, I see what I like and then and then I use whatever works best for me. I think that's totally fine and it depends on your priorities and, and some people are, are very purist in, in, in that approach and, well, I, I need the node and I need the, the liquidity and I need to establish the channels or I, I at least want I want the keys. I want the keys, I can have the automated liquidity so I'm going to use Breeze or I'm going to use Phoenix um, or uh, to a degree, moon. And I know there's there's some uh, wizardry in the background that makes it not pure lightning, but it, effectively, it's you still have the keys and it's automated in a sense. And then there's others that are saying, "Dude, I got twenty bucks. I don't give a shit. I'm I, wallet is Satoshi. I downloaded it and it worked immediately. I'm fine with this. It's twenty bucks. <laughs> so um, yeah, you know, like when when it's the majority of of your your money." be very conscientious about it when it's just experimentation and day-to-day spending. And you've got 20, 50 bucks kicking around, then you use your discretion. You can still continue to learn, but like if you're not worried about 20 bucks, then, then yeah, then pop it around wherever. And then also that gives you the, should I use word opportunity? I will. It gives you the opportunity, to make a mistake and learn from it because nothing is better the teacher than saying fuck i lost 20 bucks what happened and then digging into what happened um there's been you know i've had those moments where it's like oh shit where what happened to my money now and you have to actually then you have to ask the question of like i don't i don't want to do that again and i don't want to do that with more money what happened why did that not work um is it something i should be aware of and then uh should i avoid this behavior in the future uh and and yeah so for small amounts of money experiment pop around see what works best for you and limit your exposure if you don't fully understand what what you're doing
2: good stuff good advice i'm glad we could hear peter through his ski mask there um uh, with that we are going to transition. I'm going to do a couple announcements here, and then we're going to trans, uh, transition into macro. We've got Steven Lupka here. We've got Terrence Yang here, uh, our usual macro guests. And, of course, we have uh, Dan and Josh from Blue Collar Bitcoin, who are going to most definitely enhance our macro discussion. So we will pivot to that momentarily. I'm just going to hit some quick announcements here. You guys are listening to cafe bitcoin hosted by swan bitcoin it is entirely possible that gary gensler himself is listening right now under a nim we cannot rule that out uh we do this every weekday monday to friday 10 a.m to 12 p.m eastern as a live twitter spaces if you were listening earlier this is also being played on on Noster. shout out to derek ross who helped make that happen you are the man for that appreciate it and if you want to catch the recording uh, we post it as a podcast, and you can find that in the usual places: Fountain, Spotify, Apple, etc. Alex Danzik is your usual host. I am guest hosting for Alex today. My name is John Har, and I'm part of the private client services team here at Swan. For any of you who don't know me, uh, we also refer to that as Swan Private. And I also want to hit on Bitcoiner Jobs. So many of you are probably familiar with this, but Bitcoiner Jobs one of the best places to look if you are looking to be hired by a Bitcoin company. And you want to see what companies are out there, what positions are they hiring for, or if you are part of a Bitcoin company and you want to hire for your company, Bitcoiner Jobs is one of the best places to go for that. Simple website with some filters on there that make it super easy to use. So that's Bitcoiner Jobs. Um, I will say really quick, Tomer mentioned this earlier, but there's a new Lynn Alden article that dropped. Uh, It's called The Implications of Open Monetary and Information Networks. I have not read it because it literally dropped in the last uh, 24 hours, but I am very much looking forward to reading it. Last announcement is Swan IRA. If you believe that Bitcoin is generational wealth, which of course we believe here at Swan, then why would you not own Bitcoin in, in a tax advantaged way? So you can own real Bitcoin in Swan IRA. Uh, no taxes if you set up a Roth because those are post tax dollars and deferred taxes. If you set up a traditional IRA, if you're already a Swan client, you can get set up with Swan IRA in under a minute. Um, Not an exaggeration literally takes under a minute to do it. And if you're not a Swan client already, it's still quite easy to get set up. You can DM me, Terrence Steven. If you have questions about moving existing retirement assets into a Swan IRA, we are happy to answer those questions. All right, thank you guys for listening to those announcements. Um, let's pivot into the macro discussion. And before that, um, I should say, Ben, thank you. Know you know
8: who's Richard. not going to pivot, John? You know who's not going to pivot? Jerome Powell.
2: <laughs> what, what a lovely transition right there, Stephen. Um, I, di- I did want to welcome you up to the stage, Stephen. But Be- before we do that, I just want to say thanks again to Ben. Um, ben, please feel free to stick around, chime in if you'd like. Uh, but yeah, Ben one of one of the best resources in the world of Bitcoin. So Ben always appreciate when when you come chat with us
1: Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on and anybody uh, curious about Cashew. There's a up in the nest. There's a, a link to uh, The tutorial so feel free to play around and uh, the only last thing I'll say is uh, I'm I'm doing why are we bullish tonight as a spaces because so this is my eye is like swollen shut. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, uh, but uh, I'll be doing that at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So just watch on Twitter for the spaces for why are we bullish audio version.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, check that out. That's that's definitely a good good show. Um, if People are interested in tuning in later today. So let's um, welcome up Stephen. Good morning. How are you?
8: Good morning. I'm doing great, man. How are you? How's everybody?
2: So far so good. We've had really good discussion with Ben, uh, Dan and Josh from the BCB team. I see Jeff Ross uh, here as well. Good morning, Jeff. How you doing?
10: Hey, morning, John. Morning, everybody. Happy to be up here. Great discussion, Ben.
2: It was fun to listen. Right on, right on. So now we're talking macro here. And as I said, it's great to have uh, Dan and Josh from Blue Collar Bitcoin here because I think they do a good job covering uh some of the macro events that are going on does anyone have any topics in particular that they want to cover from a macro perspective obviously we've seen bitcoin's price dipping a little bit here but i'll kind of open it up and see if there's anything in particular that people want to focus on
8: i think something we were talking earlier this week john and um I think we were tossing around one of the uh, theses that's in the air. I'm like, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about this on Macro Friday, but it would be interesting to talk about um, the argument that some people have for why the rate hikes are actually going to be inflationary. Um, and, you know, I, I always found this interesting, and it's it's something I started watching when I realized the amount of dollars that are being created to pay yields to all of this cash and money market accounts as well as other holders of debt and other avenues but you know basically you know the higher these rates go and the more that companies like fidelity and robinhood investment banks are attracting cash and people are holding cash and they're putting them into these money market accounts that are yielding, you know, four and a half percent and, you know, heading up and you've got some of the, uh, you know, Bridgewater guys on Twitter saying, you know, get that cash yield, you know, that starts to be a meaningful amount of dollars that essentially is not just being spent into existence, but is going straight into the hands of the consumer, just like actual new dollars. So I think that's something interesting to think about.
2: Yeah, Lynn had a really good succinct, Lynn Alton, of course, uh, had a very succinct way of describing this. I'll just read one sentence from something she put out recently. She wrote, most of the increase in money supply and associated price increases in recent years came not from bank lending, but rather from fiscal deficits. And yet the Fed is mainly targeting bank lending and asset prices. So, the, you know, TLDR here is that It's kind of like a battle between monetary policy, where the Fed, uh, as Lynn Alden's quote said, uh, the Fed is targeting bank lending through interest rate policy and also asset prices. But the fiscal side of things uh, could likely win out. And this would be a reason why uh, CPI could potentially be stickier than many people believe it uh, may may not return down to 2% so easily.
8: And so there's kind of an additional little hop there where, you know, she's saying, hey, we're targeting, you know, bank lending. Um, we're t- we're talking, you know, we're, we're impacting the creation of loans. And so obviously that's going to impact certain sectors really heavily, like real estate, you know, I think probably the top one. Um, but then you have to kind of ask the question, so was bank lending the source of the inflation? Yes or no? And I don't really believe most people think that that was the case. I don't think there's a lot of people out there saying, hey, uh, this inflationary impulse was driven by bank lending. And so if it wasn't and it was instead driven by huge dollar issuance from the COVID stimulus, as well as like underinvestment in commodities and supply chain disruptions, then okay, like, cool, we're going to cool down bank lending, but... We're also going to do that in a way that actually increases the amount of dollars going to the system.
7: Uh, you know,
5: what, one thought I have...
4: have,
5: go ahead, Josh. I was just going to say, I don't think it's arguable that bank lending is down. I was reading there. This is a 28 year low for uh, new interest in mortgage lending. So it's clear that real estate is getting slammed. Uh, I was reading an article that said Blackstone just defaulted on a $562 million bond backed uh, by offices and stores. And the real estate clearly is not doing well with 7% mortgage rates. But to to ask a question about the idea that um, money markets are – uh, I guess the way I see it is if money markets are drawing money in because they're paying a real interest rate of – or not a real interest rate, but an interest rate of 5%, it seems like most people are going to park money there and likely leave it there because they see it as their best option to to save some money, which would draw money out of the real economy. Um, and I I don't think people that are deciding to park money in those money markets are going to decide to go spend it necessarily. It's hard. I don't know. It's hard to say. There's so many moving parts to all of these things. Um, yeah. I don't know, Dan, what did you have to say?
4: Yeah. Um, I'm zooming out a little bit here um, and thinking more on a, on a years long time frame rather than a month long time frame, but a question, a really simple question that I think is worth asking yourself, you know, frequently I- as we look at this sovereign debt bubble landscape is how, when, and where is debt gonna get monetized? So when I think about the interest rate question and I zoom out, like I said, on on you know, more than a month long time frame, there's a few things that come to mind. Lynn's put out some awesome pieces, they've been referenced some already. One she put out recently was basically talking about the Fed going broke. One factor, as as interest rates have climbed and interest expense grows, is that in in the last ten years the Fed has sent a trillion dollar of remittances back to the Treasury. They're now operating at a loss. Just one factor, tax receipt issues. You know, Luke Grumman talks about this all the time. But you look at some of the data coming out of California. I mean, it's crazy. January they were down fourteen billion in tax receipts, and and something like half a percent of California taxpayers pay 40% of the state income tax. And as markets get clobbered because the cost of capital goes up, there goes the tax receipts It's one other thing to consider. And then just interest rate expense in general, which we reference a lot. Like you've gone from 300 billion to, to north of 700 billion in short order. And as that nut continues to grow, you factor all these things together, the, the existing just exorbitant debt loads and then the ongoing increasing servicing cost, you keep getting to the answer of, yeah, they're going to have to monetize it. And these things are, even though they're just individual factors, they all compile to where that's going to have to continue to be the case. And obviously the escape valve there is the fiat currency. So I, I maybe don't have the expertise to talk on a short timeframe, but that's how I think if they were to keep you know, the cost of capital this high and their debt servicing cost this high, it just, in a lot of ways, accentuates the debt snowball. And um, yeah, we think of these rates going up as a deflationary force, but there's, there's a lot of components I think you can see through an inflationary lens as well.
9: Yeah, Stephen. see that. So California's solution to their uh, tax hole, uh, which mostly came because people moved out of the state uh, during the COVID insanity that they had. Uh, so their new solution is they're going to start taxing people that moved out of the state because they built their career in California, uh, so now they're trying to put in like laws so that they can tax people that move to Texas for like the next five years or something
6: or more. That's what a crazy show! Yeah, yeah I, I was, was going to bring it up to How Up to like ten years, what they would do was they would tax you at a certain percentage, and then over ten years, how crazy is this? You out of the state for up to ten years, and they just oh, well, we won't tax you as much in year two, three, and four. And, man, what you're bringing up is is a perfect illustration of what's going on. And I know it's a reason so many of us are here. All right? Some of us are older. And it's not just for us, man. It's for our kids. It's for our grandchildren that haven't been born yet. All right? We're looking to a better future. And, my God, I I just, the smart, hey, the big brains on stage, can someone help me? understand what the hell is going on with real estate because I'll I'll look up let's go in the way back machine 20 years this is my generation you know it's early 2000s you get a mortgage all right and at the time it was finally coming down and I think I I think I got in at a a nice 7% which was great at the time the problem is it's been nice over the years those rates went down four and a half refinance free money it got down three years ago March 2020, refinance at 2.7, free money when you know what the CPI is. But now you're looking at a generation right now. It's just at 7.1% again, and the prices have tripled. And how in the hell can we do this to a generation? How does this unwind? That's the problem, man. Uh, just trying to get a generation to to um, have, not necessarily mad, but just to put a roof over head. It, this is, um, it's mind-boggling to watch unfold. So I don't know, uh, how does this real estate market unwind here? Does anyone have any clue? I don't.
8: Let me let me hop in. I want to answer one thing first before it gets buried, and then we'll talk real estate. Um, so just on the notion, um, um, one of the blue-collar Bitcoin guys, I don't, I don't know which one it was, but um, you, you had brought up a point that, like, the money market accounts, like, well, they're, they're dollars that aren't in the economy. And I think, I think that's a good point, but I think there's two things to consider that make it a little more interesting. And one is like, first of all, so what are those dollars? First of all, where do they come from? And in most cases, they're assets. Like a lot of it is assets that people sold into cash. And so it's money that was tied up in equities or maybe a home sale that like kind of already wasn't in the economy and is now in an account where it is essentially getting paid a yield in more dollars. Um, but apart from that, it's this interesting kind of, it's its kind of a this force that risks slamming into the economy, which means the more that that grows and the more that pile of money market dollars, as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, um, and as the yields paid to bonds get higher and higher, um, the Fed runs the risk and the, and, the, and the government runs the risk that as soon as people feel better about the economy, all of that money comes rushing back. It comes in like a flood. And all of those dollars, including the newly created ones that were kind of tied up in these accounts, well, they're not restricted at all. They just come, come rushing back. And so like, it's kind of like, oh, look, inflation's improved. We feel better about things. They pull all the dollars out. Inflation goes right back up. Um, So just kind of a a little additional color to
5: think on there. I wanted to throw that out. Yeah, I totally hear you on that point. Um, If I could just really quick, I remember back in like 2010 when QE started, 2009, 10, everybody thought inflation was going to run rampant. And it didn't. And for a long time, I didn't understand why. But I think I'm coming to the understanding now that there's basically two different kinds of money that entered the economy. And that was basically bank money. Uh, that the the Fed inserted that all stayed within the banking system, and then what happened during COVID was literally helicopter money, and that's the you know the massive difference between uh, the two different kinds of QE. So I guess the question I have for anybody that's interested is when they do have to monetize again, do you? I I think it makes sense they'll probably do they'll probably be more bank oriented QE rather than helicopter money because I think they learned their lesson there. Is there any way they can keep? that from becoming an inflationary force.
9: Well, I can jump in on those, but Jeff, you want to go first?
5: Yeah,
10: either way, Tone, uh, we probably have a similar answer, but, but yeah, I mean, my, my, I think you're right on there and, and there are sort of two different ways to think about it, right? I think when you have a monetary type inflation, when there's a monetary uh, increase or surge that causes generally a surge or an increase in asset prices because of where that money is. And then if you have a fiscal response, like if you have the Treasury wiring uh, money directly into people's bank accounts, that tends to affect the CPI. That tends to have a price increase or an inflationary effect on prices. And so that's what we saw here. And that's coming full circle all the way back to what first got uh, brought up here. Yeah, and into Lynn's point of this, basically what's happening is we're, we're, the Fed is using a monetary response to tackle a supply side fiscal problem. And that just is kind of uh, destined to fail, I think, and destined to actually possibly cause more harm than good. They're they're kind of using a 70s solution to a 1940s style problem. Again, probably going to cause more harm than good. So I agree with you. And and that's part of the problem. You can see that as, as the money stock rises faster than its kind of basal rate that it's been rising at, it's just guaranteed to cause inflation, right? So what happened in COVID uh, all of the supply chains got shut down, or, the, or most supply chains got shut down. It was a supply-sided problem. Uh, and then they made it even worse by then directly wiring money into people's bank accounts. So now people were flush with cash, and they're chasing after the same amount or less goods, less uh, less supply of goods. That just absolutely causes uh, price inflation. And so to think that the response of the Fed to treat this uh, f- with a monetary solution, I think it's absolutely barbaric, this operation demand destruction that they're doing. They're basically kicking Americans while they're down. We're already getting just hammered by price inflation. And then they're trying to put as many Americans out of work as possible in an effort to you know, bring inflation down. That's insane to me. To me, the obvious solution is they should be focused on the fiscal and supply side uh, of, of this whole uh, equation. They should be doing everything possible to you know, get Americans back to work, get the supply chains back up and running, bring manufacturing back to America. Um, That stuff takes longer, though. So that's why politicians don't like that kind of stuff, because we won't see results within the next year or two. But that would uh, be by far better for Americans over the long run and even in the midterm, I think.
4: I I think another point to make here, which is obvious, but is worth stating again, is just it's hard to to pick what's worse. Asset price inflation are just you know, general broad price inflation. Uh, but on the asset price side, if they choose that, we're all well aware of the consequences there. You know, growing wealth gap, stuff getting out of control price-wise, real estate's already been hinted. I mean, for the for the average middle class individual, housing is is a huge conundrum right now. Um, and just the 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 first principle idea that in an asset in, a, in an artificial asset price inflation environment, more power is accruing to those that are closest to the crooked spigot. So it's both are detrimental. Uh, neither one is a good option, and it all goes back to just a flimsy artificial base that continues to contribute to wayward incentives that are dysfunctional.
2: And uh, Tone, before you go, I just wanted to to chime in. You know, we've talked about cpi as an inflation measure and then asset price inflation and uh, i think that is a a hugely important thing to bring up i always like to to point out or at, at least share my view that i i don't think we should accept when when people often in the mainstream like to say well there wasn't that much inflation for the last 15 to 20 years and uh, they might be right. If you look at the official CPI metric, you know, it was somewhere between one and 3%. But if, if you look at some of the other things that have been brought up, you know, housing's been brought up. How about college tuition? If you just look at publicly available information on what the median home price is in the US, I'm not even saying one of these like ultra desirable areas, you're talking like four to 5% per year home price appreciation for the last 20 years. Is that good for someone who owns a home already? Sure, nice for them. What about the young people who are just starting their careers and want to own a home one day? They're getting priced out of the housing market. Uh, college tuition is probably up somewhere between 3 to 5% per year for the last 20 years. And these are some of the biggest expenses that people are gonna have. So, you know, the fact that CPI with you know electronic products or things that machines make. Uh, that get, um, you know, th- those might be relatively stable. Um, and we could, you know, d- debate the fact of 2% per year is not even necessarily stable. That means prices double every 35 years. But you look at some of the things that are the biggest expenses in people's lives. And over the last 15 to 20 years, those have probably been up anywhere from like 3 to 5% per year. The S&P 500 has been up like 8% per year for the last 20 years on average. Um, that that is arguably a way you could measure how much can people save for retirement. Um, so I just I, I like to point those out because I think I, I would actually argue the last fifteen to twenty years have been inflationary. It just hasn't been CPI inflationary.
8: But John, we all know that houses are a luxury good. All you really need is a pod. <laughs>
7: yeah, who wants to live a in a house? Inflation. Right. Yeah. Who wants to live in a house anyway? <laughs> who
2: who wants to live in a house, send their kids to college or save for retirement? Let's just exclude those things. And, you know, cheap electronic goods and apparel from, you know, China and other places. Those have been stable. Let You know, let's focus on that. Um, but we might get I mean, I would be interested to hear what other people have to say. Do we think that? Uh, we'll see a reversal of that trend where, or maybe do we see everything go up at once? You know, of the next 10 years, do people think CPI is going to be going up at the same time that houses and college and the S and P goes up? Or do you think some of this, uh, I'll call it asset price inflation is going to be more tame over the next 10 years. Any, any views on that?
7: On the, on the commodity
8: side, it's, it's hard for me to see, That not being above like the last three decades, you know, like uh, it's very difficult for me to imagine that we have in any way invested the sort of capital in production and innovation on like raw materials and just stuff that makes the economy go round that we're gonna in any way, not see inflation there.
4: I'm going to reference Lynn. I was going to reference Lynn again. Um, My base, this is from her Fixing Inflation February newsletter. I think my base case is just that we're going to be in an insidiously elevated inflationary environment. She draws two parallels, which she often does, the 40s and then the 70s. She points out that between 1940 and 1952, CPI rose 90%. And then between 1965 and 1985, it rose 237%. Now, maybe year over year, that didn't completely slap someone across the face that wasn't paying attention. But when you zoom out, you can see the detrimental effects of that. I think when you when you add in the confluence of factors of demographics, probably ongoing structural supply shortages, particularly in energy. And then you just add in all the, the monetization that's going to need to happen that Yeah, it may appear in assets, but that's going to start bleeding elsewhere. I just think you add all this together, you zoom out. I think it's just going to be an insidiously increased inflationary environment, similar to maybe the metrics I just quoted in the 40s and the 70s.
5: I just wanted to chime in really quick and and bring up, and we haven't talked about this at all, but it's something I think everyone's paying a lot more attention to in the last couple of months. Um, With artificial intelligence, like something... Obviously, there's a lot of things that are very, very parallel to the 40s that we see going on now, but I think this could change things in a way that we can't really predict. Like, there are so many labor related jobs, at least, especially white collar jobs, that could be disintermediated by this artificial intelligence moving as quickly as it is, with Moore's Law improving compute power every, you know, doubling it every 18 months. And the incredible results we're seeing with anyone that's played with Chat GPT and then watching what's developing as far as uh, a wide breadth and range of things that artificial intelligence is going to affect. I mean, we could be seeing, I know Elon Musk promised five years ago, we're gonna see you know, Tesla taxis by 2019, which didn't happen, but these things are moving very fast and there's a ton of jobs that are going to probably disappear in the next five to 10 years, but it's gonna make things extremely cheap. I mean, we could be seeing artificial intelligence doctors that are giving people advice and treating them some of the, you know, poorest people in Africa could be getting some of the best advice uh, possible, uh, something in order of magnitude better than what they're getting today. How do you guys view artificial intelligence's deflationary force um, up against all of the inflationary forces? It, I mean, I have no idea. I'm just spitballing here, but I think that is the one differenti- differentiating factor between what we saw in the 40s and what we're seeing today. And I think it could be a major one.
9: Do you want to go? Sure. I'm going to try to like comment on everything. Yes, yeah, so, Jeff, you were right. Uh, we were going to say the same thing. People have to realize that, um, look, I'm not going to say that all the money printing during COVID in 2009 didn't add to inflation, but it added maybe 10% to inflation. Like, like the inflation we're seeing now is a direct result of the COVID lockdowns and further exacerbated by sanctions on Russia. And they will then go through the roof uh, if the US has a military conflict with China. And that, you know, trade shuts down. Plus, China had their zero COVID policy, which continued, you know, to shut down that supply chain. That is responsible for 80 to 90 percent of the inflation we have today, not the money that the government gave people. Like, like I can't go on here or anywhere and say that the money printing that the US government did had zero effect on inflation. That's not true but it had such a minimal effect on inflation that it was almost zero. I know everyone wants to blame money printing. That, that's not, well, Like the government can print all the money that they like, but if no one wants to spend it and everyone hoards it, there will still be deflation uh, in the air. And uh, one of the reasons we probably did not have uh, crazy inflation throughout the early 2000s was exactly the AI that's coming uh, because the internet was making things cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and making things easier and easier and easier. Uh, So that probably contributed to lower uh, inflation numbers while at the same time, you can go back to blaming the government as to why tuition went through the roof. That goes back to Clinton's when they made uh, college debt not dischargeable in bankruptcy. And now uh, these colleges can charge whatever they want. Banks can lend out whatever money they like. It was easy money. It just like uh, uh, the housing crisis uh, because it was easy money, easy to get a loan. Uh, because uh, in college, for college tuition, uh, that's it. You're on the hook. And if, uh, and if you're 23 years old and uh, you had an accident and you died, your parents are going to be on the hook for that loan, basically. Uh, so that blows up the, the college tuition stuff. Uh, but back to housing for one uh, second, oh yeah, by the way, I do expect inflation to be high, uh, but not because of the money printing. I expect inflation to be high mostly because of the, uh, the incoming trade war and potential hot war with China. Uh, so that's gonna cause big, big problems. If that's, uh, I mean if that doesn't happen and the sanctions on Russia go away, then, uh, which also will never happen, uh, then inflation will come down super, super quick. Uh, assuming that they'd want to trade with the West again after the sanctions go down. Uh, So we're stuck with inflation for a little while, and uh, money printing will just contribute an extra 10 to 20% until people lose faith in the currency, and then hyperinflation time. Uh, But back to the housing thing. So, yeah, I I don't think real estate is an incredible investment. It's a decent investment, uh, but I do think it's going to go belly up. Uh, eventually right because then you have people like bill gates buying up all the farmland not using it as farmland and now farmland becomes trickier becomes harder older farmers are dying so now uh like food is becoming more expensive because one guy bought up all the, all the farmland eventually uh, uh you can't monopol you can't take over any market right the hunt brothers tried it with silver that didn't work. Right now, we have BlackRock doing it with real estate as well, uh, and BlackRock is going to go down. And when BlackRock implodes, because no company has ever been able to maintain, uh, you know, that kind of control and monopoly. I mean, otherwise, it would still be like the East India Trading Company uh, that would still be the biggest world navy. So when BlackRock, uh, you know, implodes, and it will probably this decade you're going to see a giant crash in real estate because the biggest owner of real estate will suddenly have to sell it at 10 cents on the dollar because they're going to be liquidated. Kind of like what happens with, you know, Celsius and FTX and all this other stuff. Uh, Like you have to sell it 10 cents on the dollar. So eventually real estate will have a massive, massive crash that happened in the U.S. I think about a hundred years ago where you can buy land at 10 cents on a dollar. I think, That's going to come back. Uh, Crashes and panics don't usually repeat until every single person that was there and participated in it has already passed away. So we are going to repeat, you know, the 1920s uh, eventually, because right now, today, no one's alive that actually remembers it.
2: Right on. Thanks for sharing all that, Tone. So we're at a few minutes uh, to the hour here. We'll go to Pubby real quick, but then after that we should do closing comments. So definitely want to hear from uh, Dan and Josh and Steven and Jeff. We'll go to um, each of you guys after Pubby.
6: Yeah, I'll keep it quick. Uh, yeah, Tone, I, I think great great um, ideas there on real estate. Uh, ultimately, it's just got to crash down At some point um you know i I think it was one of the blue collar guys bringing up the ai and this is important i i I think you know all these we have all these different um attack vectors on on the economy on the world but yeah ai and automation is a big one and it's been interesting to watch in the late 80s you know i'm I'm finishing up high school and everything was geared to you go to college you go to college you get a degree you're set for life. And the ones that were shunned were everyone that went to Votech, vocational technical school. What's fascinating to watch unfold here is that automation and AI is replacing everything that most people go to college for. So it's insane. It, you know, tell your kids, tell your grandchildren to choose their their major wisely because they can easily be priced out of this. Okay, they can. You know, you we can you can send you can send a tax return. A tax return, just send over to, to India, and some kid will do it for $15. You don't need an accounting degree. But I'll tell you what we will need, man. We'll need plumbers, people that know air conditioning. You're going to need people that can actually physically work on cars for you. That's where the future is right now. So, uh, yeah, just keep an open mind on, on all this and, and and just think think about um, what what is coming down the pipe. Because guess what? You know what we all do? Right now, you, you go to a – they talked about they wanted a 15 twenty dollar minimum wage. Guess what? You go to fast food, you just order it now from the machine. You go, you go to get on your flight. You're down there. You're back. You're checking your own bags, man. Um, there's a lot of more automation coming down. It's something that you gotta just gotta realize.
2: Thanks, Bobby. Let's go to uh, Doctor Jeff. Any closing thoughts? Then we'll go to Stephen and then Dan and Josh.
7: Sure. Thanks, John. Hey, Good yeah, the Bitcoin, the
9: Bitcoin price. <laughs>
2: Uh, the Bitcoin price? Yeah, well, here, let, let me let me
10: just give you my quick little 30-second thing. So so I think right now for the next uh, couple of months, the, the battle is between the narrative of either sticky high inflation or is disinflation going to resume again. I think if it's sticky high inflation and the data points start coming in throughout March to continue to support that, interest rates will continue to meander higher uh risk assets in general will do poor and i think that bodes kind of poorly for bitcoin as well which i think at best could kind of tr- uh, trend sideways which would be great or you know take a hit lower if the disinflation metrics start to win back over, I think, and I think uh, stocks are kind of front running that at the moment personally, um, then I think uh, we get back into the the idea of the Fed pause rally that the Fed won't have to raise as high as people are scared that they would right now. Um, risk assets could rally. I think that, that could light a fire under Bitcoin personally. So that, that's what I'm watching, uh, watching closely the data points that are coming in over the next several weeks because that will uh, dictate the uh, direction of risk assets and and probably Bitcoin
2: as well. Steven, any closing thoughts you want to share?
8: I think we run the risk of the downsides of AI being exponentially greater than the upsides. And I don't mean like X-risk stuff. Like I don't mean like, oh, like everybody dies. Like I just mean like, I think we are like, have no idea the externalities and are just recklessly implementing. So I'm honestly like, Not super bullish AI, not super convinced it has this like productivity revolution. I think we have no idea what we're doing.
2: Dan, Josh, let's go to you guys. I want to say thanks again for joining. Um, Love the content you guys put out there. So thanks for chatting with us today. And we'll kick it over to both of you. Any closing thoughts that you want to share?
5: Um, If I could, I, I think that... We generally, as humans, we focus on the negative, and we 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 evolved to worry about tigers in the grass that are going to kill us, which is you know how we survived to be this to to this age. A book that I like and I think is really informative on the subject of um, just being optimistic about technology in general. And I I share the same kind of concerns about artificial intelligence, but it could go either direction, and it will probably go both. But the Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley is a really great book that goes through a lot of technological innovation and how people were worried about it and how it obviously turned out okay for us so far. So if um, just basically to be an optimist, I think there are a ton of great things that artificial intelligence could bring. There's a ton of really scary tail risks as well. But um, I think we'll make it through it. And hopefully all this shit with Russia and China blows over and we'll be okay. Thanks for having us.
4: appreciate that uh glass half full perspective josh we we try our best to keep that it can be hard especially in this climate um appreciate you having us jeff tone pubby steve john sessions tons of good comments and uh just can't say how much we appreciate this space this this cohort of people, this whole bitcoin thing over the last five years has really accelerated our learning journey tremendously and uh we're gonna keep having conversations about it each week. If if you are encountering us for the first time, that the gray or the black background, that's just for Twitter spaces. Our primary Twitter handle is the blue background. And um we appreciate everybody here.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Dan and Josh. Appreciate you joining and thanks everyone else who was uh who is on stage now or was on stage and thank you everyone for coming in to listen we are a few minutes past the hour here so we will wrap it there um but this was a live twitter spaces you can catch the recording anywhere you uh, usually catch your podcast recording so thank you everyone we'll wrap it there and have a great weekend